Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about the marijuana ballot questions that Detroiters will face in November, on November 7th. What will they do? What are the issues at play there? And if they pass, how would they change life in the city? Think of how dramatically things have changed in some neighborhoods of the city since medical marijuana was legalized. The number of uh, dispensaries that you have in some places uh, really is is dramatic. And I think uh, everyone who lives in those areas is concerned about what the future looks like. These two ballot questions will affect where those dispensaries are, uh, how concentrated they can be, all of those kinds of things. So we're going to have uh, an extended conversation about that with a Detroit City Council person, someone who has collected signatures to put these proposals on the ballot, uh, representatives from the Duggan administration. We're going to have a lot of different voices in on that conversation. And of course, we want yours as well uh, at 313-577-1019 uh, to talk about uh, medical marijuana in the city of Detroit. That'll be about halfway through the hour. Also, remember, if you're headed into work or just have to move on with your day, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and uh, you can take us with you and listen to us when you are ready. Up first, uh, last week the Tigers hired a new manager in the team's effort to rebuild, and the Pistons played their first game at Little Caesars Arena before a crowd that was really less than impressive. I found myself watching the game, but watching as much who was sitting in the seats and whether there were people sitting in the seats. I remember at the beginning of the second half in particular, it looked almost empty. Uh, Here to talk to us about Sports business is Bill Shea, who reports on the business of sports in Detroit for Cranes Detroit Business. Bill, welcome to Detroit today. Always happy to be here. Yeah. So let's start with Ron Gardenhire, uh, Tiger's new manager. I have seen I've seen a real split, I guess, in my social media about what to believe about this this hire, what to believe about this manager. Some people are elated because they feel like he's a winner and somebody who will increase, I guess, the value of play uh, on the team. Other people are like, this is a kind of old school guy who doesn't sort of engage in the econometrics or the the, 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 the kind of uh, data-driven um, decisions that uh, that get made in, in, in modern baseball. What, what are we to think of, of this hire? And... I guess the the real question on people's minds is how quickly will someone like Ron Gardenhire make a difference here in Detroit? Well, I think he has three years to make a difference. Uh, that's his, his contract. Uh, it's certainly a safe hire. Um, a lot of people don't consider it a very inspired hire or forward thinking. Um, uh, I, I think he's safe in the sense that he has a reputation for developing players, and that's clearly the business strategy going forward. Um, they've they've abandoned uh, the late Mike Illich's strategy of hey, there's a free agent I really want. I will get out my checkbook and add all of the zeros that I can possibly add to lure <laughs> that person here. Uh, so they're they're going with uh, cheap young talent, garden hire. You know he, he manages the Twins for 13 years, developed players, uh, many of whom are still very loyal to him today. Um, 
The metrics thing you brought up is very important. Uh, the, the team has publicly and repeatedly made commitments that we are going Moneyball, we are going advanced analytics, mm-hmm. um, and Garden hires on record as saying, uh, you know, numbers lie. He doesn't seem real into that. <laughs> um, and I don't know how much he has to be into it. I mean, there are certainly tactical decisions a manager makes um, that are based on you know modern advanced analytics. Um, there's also analytics in terms of the kind of talent you want to go get um, to stack your roster and your farm system. And he's probably not going to be real involved in that. That's going to be Al Avila in, in the analytics staff, the yeah. front office. Um, so if you're thinking long term, it's a little less important because wins and losses are not their primary concern. It's building a, a roster and a, a farm system. Of, of players that will help you contend down the road. And and we haven't been doing that terribly well here in Detroit. Is that, is no, that not not at all. Under the, under the uh, Dombrowski era, you develop talent with the intention of trading it for win-now type of, of players. Um, you know, they unloaded prospects over and over again. You know, they did that to – to get Miguel Cabrera into Detroit, you know Andrew Miller, the the fantastic Indians reliever, was a young man that they sent to the Marlins as part of that deal uh, almost a decade ago now. Um, and every team does that. I mean, you you deal talent to, if you're in that win now sort of mode. Well, that that door's closed, um, and you're stuck with a farm system that's that's pretty barren. Yeah, uh, let's talk about uh, the the team and the prospects for the next couple of years how, how do you how do you if you're the if you're the owners of, of the Tigers sort of how do you keep people coming to the ballpark if if it's clear you know on opening day or soon thereafter that you're not going to contend I mean this year was pretty uh, pretty abysmal and, and the season seemed to get away from the Tigers much earlier than it than it normally would uh, is there any reason to, to, to believe that next year will be even slightly better or that the next year will be slightly better? I mean, how long does it take to, to get back up off the mat? Um, you know, rebuilding cycles often, you know, about five years or so. Um, and the Tigers have been pretty honest with the fans saying, yeah, we were kind of awful and we're rebuilding for the future. We've got a plan in place. Trust the process. Um, how you market that to get people to renew season tickets. I mean, you still got Cabrera, who's clearly on the downslide side of his career, um, you know, and, it, and it's still a day out at the ball game. So I suspect they're going to market the the economics of taking the family down for fifteen dollar tickets, and I mean they'll they'll package deals and things like that. And it's a great ballpark, you know. My son's not real into baseball, but he likes you know merry go rounds and hot dogs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably going to be their strategy for some time. Um, because they're if they live up to what they've said, they're not going to go sign a $100 million free agent that people want to come see every day. So, you know, say, hey, we're a young, up-and-coming team. Watch the future stars today as they hit 180 right? <laughs> you know, for the season. It's tough. Although, you know, I mean, if you think about this year's playoffs, uh, the, 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 the narrative that surrounded the New York Yankees, I thought, was – particularly inspiring and given that <clears throat> that's a pretty young team it was a rebuilding year quote unquote we got to the AL uh, championship series and on largely on the bat of this uh, uh, Aaron Judge who seems like a football player playing baseball but uh, but uh, you know I, I suppose it's always possible 
that you can that you can take the, this sort of young talent and get it to overperform. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. You can catch you know lightning in a bottle sometimes. I, I'm not sure the Tigers are going to be there for a couple of seasons, um, but you look at the Houston Astros. It was 2013, I think. Their payroll hit about nine million dollars for the team, mm-hmm. and nine million is one of your lower-paid tigers still at this point. <laughs> right. um, and you know, five years, four or five years later, they're we're on the cusp of the World Series. Um, you know, so anything can happen if you manage your money, you manage that talent. If they're real, if they're genuine, in we are going advanced analytics to, to try and gain the cutting edge. Yeah, it might not be a five-year cycle. Maybe they're back in three years. Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bill Shea. He reports on the business of sports in Detroit. For Crane's Detroit Business, we are talking about the Detroit Tigers hiring Ron Gardenhire to be the new manager. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Pistons, Little Caesars Arena opener, and the poor attendance. Was it poor attendance, or did it just look like poor attendance on television. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can talk about the Tigers or the Pistons or LCA generally. Have you been yet? Uh, What do you think of the new arena? What do you think of the Red Wings presence down there? Is it different than it was at the Joe? Did you go to the Pistons game last week? I'm going this week, so I'll check it out for myself and see how different it is than uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Bill, let's start with this question of what the actual attendance was. Uh, the LCA officials said, said, hey, we sold this game out. Uh, but anyone who was watching, of course, um, you know, saw saw a lot of empty seats. Maybe that was because people were up wandering around seeing the new stadium. I suppose that's that's possible. But I th- I think the the sort of red flag about is this a good move? Is this something that's going to benefit the Pistons in this first year? Uh, sort of resonated with that 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 image, those images out of that first game, which any any picture I've seen of it shows uh, just a, a slew of empty seats. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the same thing happened with that first Red Wings game down there. There were there. I mean, there are people out exploring. There is a lot to see um, at that arena. The difference between Joe Lewis and Little Caesars mm-hmm. was night and day. Uh-huh. Um, the Palace didn't nearly lag nearly as much in terms of uh, being a cool place. Um, but yeah, there there were a lot of Pistons fans, I'm sure, in the giant team shop and looking at the historic stuff and displays. And there's all sorts of social clubs, so it's going to be tough for a little while for it would be for any team in there to have that full bowl, um, short of you know a team with a LeBron. And the, yeah. the Pistons don't have any stars. They don't have any real Ooh. even secondary stars. Like <laughs> that's in, a pretty harsh statement. Well, in terms of Andre Drummond is a star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, yeah, you, you know some of these teams have superstars that people will right. be in their seats right. to see yeah. um, from the tip off. Um, and you know, for any team taking pictures at the start of the second half or the start of a, a new period, you know, there's still people in the bathroom and in right. the concession lines. Uh, you know, it's. But clearly, it wasn't full. Um, how many fans were there? I don't know. They 
the the official attendance is both tickets sold and it's tickets distributed. Right. Um. So yeah, they got rid of the twenty thousand tickets. Um. Twenty thousand people were not in the building. Right. Um. And and they weren't at the palace. But when they're winning and when they have some stars and they're winning, the place will be sold out yeah. because people filled the palace when they were winning. So so would you say that the difference between the crowd at the palace, for instance, at the end of last season or at the beginning of last season would be comparable to what we saw at uh, LCA last week. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there were some people, I'm sure, who went because they were interested in the new building. Um, but it, it's going to take a while for those fa- the fan base to geographically shift from northern suburbs to more Detroit and, and you know, southern, uh, you know, Wayne County. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom on Facebook says, when I saw upper deck seats were still available, I went to the website to check prices, $108 per ticket. They were very far from the court. Once the team starts winning, people from the burbs will plunk down cash to be seen there. It's just a matter of time. Andrew on Facebook says, nobody complained about the Palace Drive during the going-to-work era of making the Eastern Conference Championship for years in a row. So both of them talking about uh, you know the difference in between a losing team and a winning team. And I think that 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 matters. No one complains about one hundred and eight dollars a ticket to see a team that, as you point out, may have a superstar or might be contending for for a title. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. If you want to join the conversation, that's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Bill, I want to talk about the other side of the. The, the Pistons moving down to LCA and abandoning uh, the palace. Uh, you wrote an, an interesting piece about the new joint venture that combi- combines palace sports and entertainment and Olympia entertainment. The, the concert side of this, I always thought, was one of the more interesting driving dynamics behind the whole negotiation. You've got these two venues uh, one in the suburbs, one downtown. How would you work that out, given that the, the the people who own the teams, the Illages and the Gores, also own those those entertainment enterprises? Yeah, yeah. these two organizations, Palace Sports and Olympia Entertainment, were fierce rivals for decades, um, not just in, in terms of you know discretionary spending for sports tickets, um, but for concert venues. Um, and just entertainment dollars in general. And when Tom Gora has announced last November, like, yeah, we're finally coming downtown, they mention, and we're going to have a joint venture for entertainment businesses. Um, I think that's one of the, the sticking points they negotiated for a long time. And it took them until relatively recently to, to roll the thing out. And I'm, I'm sure there was plenty of lawyers and accountants involved figuring out, you know, revenue splits. And I, I know it's a 50-50 joint venture, but um, and, you know, they have an app and all this stuff. But, you know, those are some major concert venues. Some yeah. of those amphitheaters that Palace Sports owns, like DTE, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, are amongst the top in the grossing in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, Little Caesars will catch up and be one of the top event arenas in the world. And this, this 313 Presents will be a major player. Uh, you know, I, I interviewed some, some folks in the entertainment industry, and there's not really another – business like this that has a near monopoly um, on on venue seats in a market. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madison Square Garden 
company is they're much bigger and they have a little bit different portfolio, um, but it's sort of a mini version of that. You know, by my calculations, they have about forty four percent of the seats in this market. Wow. In terms of theaters, amphitheaters, venues, you know, we lost the, the Palace, we lost Joe Lewis. It's re- replaced by by one uh, new arena. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in coming years in terms of prices. And, and you know, I wonder if that was always one of the one of the driving forces behind this deal to bring the Pistons downtown, given how much money both the Illiches and the Gores make off of the, the, the entertainment side of this. It, it really is it really is a huge, huge enterprise, right? They are. I mean, these are, especially with the new arena now, it will be much busier than Joe Lewis and the Palace uh, combined. Um, you know, they're going to have two or 300 events. This thing's busy almost every night. I mean, mm-hmm. it has, most arenas don't have full-time employees beyond a handful of, you know, maintenance and, and front office staff. This this has seven or 800 full-time employees now because it's literally going to run most nights of the year, um, and that's it's a major money maker. Yeah, um, and and those, as you pointed out, those businesses were were huge entertainment businesses. And, and Tom Gores has a pretty diverse portfolio. He's a billionaire, and it, but it's you know th- this is nowhere near the top of his right. cash list. <laughs> so I think it made sense for him to do a JV like this because it creates a lot of efficiencies. And you know he owned the palace, but he was paying you know millions of dollars in maintenance. And yes. Utilities, he's not going to have to do that anymore, especially when the th- it's probably going to get raised, yeah. uh, turned to rubble and redeveloped into commercial uh, real estate. Um, so that's off the off the books yeah. for him. Yeah. So these aren't dumb guys. They yeah. Know what they're doing. No, they, they 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 do, and and you know you wonder you wonder where the fans figure into those calculations. You always have to sort of stop and think: Are we gonna are we gonna get <laughs> raked over the coals with ticket prices uh, to these concerts? Because of this, the, you know, already the sports side of this is is out of control. I mean, I won't even talk about how much money I spent on the tickets that I'm going to go use at the at the Pistons game uh, this week. Uh, but the concert tickets and, and the escalating prices there are also just uh, remarkable. They are, um, and you know, artists often don't have control over that. Some some do, a lot don't. Um, you know, you're dealing with these enormous promoters in Live Nation and AEG um, out in L.A. Um, and they and, and the acts and um, agents. And it's, it's a real complex dynamic on how ticket prices are set. And it's, it's often uh, counterintuitive. Uh, oftentimes it's better to have one arena in a city than two. Um, because sometimes when there's two separately owned uh, concert venues of similar size, they will bid on talent, and that drives up the cost, and that's passed on to consumers. When you have a single arena, maybe you miss some shows because they can't get to you or they get to you later, um, but you're not getting into bidding wars for major acts. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how much influence 313 Presents has over pricing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. <clears throat> I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bill Shea, reports on the business of sports in Detroit for Crane's Detroit Business. Uh, we're talking about the Pistons' attendance at Little Caesars Arena. We talked a little about the Tigers hiring Ron Gardenhire to be the new manager for our baseball team. Uh, also talked about the entertainment side of the merger, I guess, between 
Entertainment uh, Palace Sports and Entertainment and Olympia Entertainment. If you want to join the conversation, talk about all these developments in our city, uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019 on the, on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Bill, I want to change the subject uh, again here. Talk about college football, which I know is something that you pay an awful lot of attention to. Uh, your rooting interests having a much better season than mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the Ohio State Buckeyes doing quite well. Uh, I imagine that they will they will end up at least trying to contend for a playoff spot. But but I want to talk more about the, the business of of college football. And the trouble that I think college football is is in. We talked about this a little bit before the season. Uh, it, it seems like it's still an issue that that kind of haunts the sport. That that and that there isn't someone uh, sort of taking the lead in saying, "Look, we have to have a conversation about all of these things that are that are not working the way we want them to." I was really interested a few weeks ago when, on the basketball side of college sports, they and paneled this commission led by Condoleezza Rice to really take a look at all of the things. And, and the, the things on the basketball side, I think, are, are a little bit different from football. The competition questions there are different than, than what you have in football because there are more rules. But, but I, you know, I, I feel like we're on the verge of this big reckoning uh, with regard to college sports and college football in particular be, because it doesn't, it doesn't work – I feel like it's not working for fans in a lot of ways that it used to. It's also not working for the athletes uh, in in ways that it probably should. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. And much like government, bureaucracies just have to find reasons to get bigger and bigger and to exist. And, you know, the, the NCAA rule books are kind of like the tax code. Um, no one, no one has read the thing from front to back. It's just <laughs> right. impossible in one human lifetime. Um, but I think, I think you're right. There will be reckoning, and there's so many factors affecting college sports. Um, you know, should athletes share in the exploitation of their labor mm -hmm. by these billion-dollar universities? Um, uh, sexual assault. Uh, you know, traumatic brain injuries. There are so many major issues facing the game that a lot of people don't want to talk about and needs to be talked about if we want the game to continue uh, in perpetuity. Um, I don't know that it will, especially as I, I saw recently that there's potentially now a test for CTE um, while you're alive. Right. Because cause right now they can only they do it post-mortem. Look at your brain after you're dead. Yeah. If, if you're an 18-year-old kid and they'd say, oh, here's a scholarship to Ohio State – but you're probably going to have this brain disease yeah. if you keep playing football. Um, there are some people will say, to heck with it. The I'm a potential NFL star one day, and mm -hmm. I come from an uh, unprivileged background. I could help my parents. And, you know, people are going to make decisions that will negatively affect them. Whereas other, and, and other people will say, no, I mean, screw it. I don't want that money. I want to be able to, you know, remember my name when I'm 50 years old and be able to walk. Um, so does the talent pool get diluted yeah. as well? There's a lot of moral questions out there. Yeah, yeah. And and those moral questions are, I, I feel like, complicated by the money. 
and the money just keeps piling up. I feel like uh, e- each sort of development in college football uh, that that you know, first of all, it's on seven days a week now. I, I it seems like I mean, there's there's almost no day Tuesday that, night that, that, games. Right. Where did right. that come from? I mean, and that's all driven by the idea that there's revenue there. I suppose. I mean, I can't imagine what 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 other reason you'd play a football game on on Tuesday night. But I feel like that's the thing that's driving the decision making. Whereas that these moral questions get pushed to the margins. Exactly. Uh, it's billions of dollars at this point. These TV deals, national TV deals, regional deals, your Longhorn networks, your Big Ten networks. The the they're you know they need shovels to keep ahead of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know which mostly is not going to the labor um, that's that's creating that money. But I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's just, there's just so much cash coming in the door. You know, who wants to talk about brain injuries or assaults yeah, or yeah. equity or things like that? Um, you know, the, the kids certainly do, and they're, you know, they don't have really a voice in this. They're just told, well, you're getting a free education. Shut up and, and right. waste your brain out there. Right. Um, where, you know. Take all the risk. Yeah. Where, for, or potential reward, but nothing while you're playing. Yeah. And meanwhile, CBS is raking in a billion dollars in advertising. So yeah. no one's talking about that. Yeah. All right, Bill Shea covers this business of sports here in Detroit for Cranes Detroit Business. As always, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Always happy to be here. All right, up next, we're going to have our conversation about medical marijuana. Detroiters will have final say over two proposals on the ballot on November 7th. What would they do and what would they mean for the city's struggle to regulate marijuana dispensary? Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today.